0: Society has created, even in corporate environments, rooms that I just can't get into because it's systemic. But when you have an ally that knows and understands you, that person can be in a room I can never be in, and they can fairly speak for me. Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast
1: that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join host Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power and proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions with networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more. Cisco helps to securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.
2: Welcome to the Let's Give Proximate podcast. I'm Alex Allen. My pronouns are he, him. I'm the senior director of Cisco's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Go-To-Market team. I'm brown-skinned Black man, and I'm wearing a dark gray polo shirt today. This is the eighth episode of the Let's Get Proximate podcast. And so please subscribe and make sure you check them all out. Our guests have been open and vulnerable and have shared their lived experiences. We've heard from people from so many different walks of life, people from EMEA, Latin America, our APJC region, gay, straight, men, women, black, white, Asian, And we have many more identities that we're going to learn about. Today's episode is going to be different. As more and more people are embracing proximity, we are learning so much about the mindset, skill set, and tool set that make these conversations work. This work is imperfect and requires us to reflect and learn from each other. People frequently ask me, "What's what's going on with Proximity Initiative? What dramatic change have you seen? What actions does proximity drive? Instead of me telling you, I'm gonna bring it to you live through the voices of two people who were matched as part of the proximity initiative and hear from them. One will be a senior leader and another person, a member of one of our inclusive communities. We're going to learn about their experiences with proximity, what they've learned, what they've discovered, together about the proximity, about the power of getting proximate. So I'm gonna start with Shawna Brathright, and she serves as the America Marketing Talent Development Program Manager, and she's the business DEI lead. She joined Cisco in 2004 and has worked in various roles, such as HR, sales, project management, throughout her 19 years at Cisco. She currently supports Cisco's Early Career Marketers as a program lead over the Marketing Amplify program. Shonya is a Raleigh, North Carolina native and works in the RTP office. She is a mother of a 20-year-old son who recently attends North Carolina A&T as a food science major. She is also a licensed minister, actively supporting her church and giving back to her community. In her downtime, you can find her curled up on the couch watching Netflix series surrounded by her three dogs. And then we have Jim Jones is a director of strategy and planning for the Global Services Organization, and he leads a team that supports the global service business. Jim has been with Cisco for 10 years. Prior to joining Cisco, Jim spent time at Cox Communication and in the Navy. Jim was born and raised in Wyoming and now calls Atlanta home along with his wife, Terry. Jim is the proud father of four children and one granddaughter. In his spare time, he enjoys time with his family, traveling, being outdoors, woodworking, reading, and learning. And so team, would you please introduce yourself, Jim and Shania, and give us your description and also please provide your pronouns.
0: So hello everyone, I'm Shania Brathwaite, I go by the pronouns of she and her. I am a brown skinned black woman with a medium length hair and I am wearing a white shirt.
3: Hey everyone, Jim Jones, my pronouns are he, him, I'm a white male wearing a dark gray shirt and just glad to be here today.
2: Awesome, are y'all ready to get proximate? Yeah. Really? So the first question, and I think this is what always people kind of struggle with related to the Proximity Initiative and also just getting proximate in general. How did y'all meet? How did you feel during that first conversation, that first interaction? So the Proximity Initiative was kicked off
3: at Cisco and it's been a wonderful experience. Shania and I were matched through the program and we met for the first time and you know, there were some guidelines to the program and things that you know we were talking through and some check boxes. And when we first met, I think we had a few minutes of awkwardness, and then we just got to know each other and kind of level set. Hey, we're here. This is a two-way relationship. You know, it started out. You felt me showing up personally. I felt there was a bit of an awkwardness, and I, I didn't know what I should say, what I shouldn't say. You know, and it felt like I was there to be Shania's mentor, but at least that's how the program felt. And then as we started the conversation, that all shifted and it just became a dialogue and we started a friendship and we just started finding common points. So that's how we got started. It felt a little interesting at first, given kind of the environment. It's a couple of years later now, right? So the environment at that time was a little bit tense. And I think there was a lot of apprehension when we first started the program about, what was the role? What should we say? What shouldn't we say? And Shanya and I just got to know each other and became friends. And really then vulnerability was able to set in and it just blossomed from there. So Shania, I don't know if you want to add anything to that.
0: I agree. When we came in, it, there wasn't guidance on when you meet, you introduce yourself, then ask this, then do this. So I think when we came together, there was that shared bit of, okay, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? We <laughs> stared at each other and said, you know what? Hi, I am. You are. And we just came to an agreement of, listen, I just want to get to know you. And I shared with him, I want to learn from you just as much as you learn from me. So this is not going to be a teachable moment of you sit here as a student. This is going to be teachable for both of us. And I think once we came to that understanding we just relaxed. I think shoulders literally just came down Yeah, and we took the time to get to know each other. And we learned that first we led more with commonalities. And I think that part of it took away the, this is a black woman talking to a white man. And it just became two people that happen to work at Cisco together. They're two humans they are getting ready to do a learning experience together.
3: I think that was the key when we figured out it was a two-way conversation, not a cycle that we were just going to go through based on a program, it became a two-way dialogue. And I think that shifted, like she said, just, it was, I say, almost a sigh of relief that we were going to be very two-way in this relationship. And it just allowed us to open the conversation
2: much wider. No, that's great. That's great. And I love that. Let me just also get really clear. What year was it when you first had your first proximity meeting? What year was that? Was that 2019, 2020? When was that? You don't remember? I think it's 2020.
0: Yes. The only reason I do remember is we both, one of the things we shared in common, we both had kids that were graduating and going to college for the first time. And it was the same time that the Floyd issue had just happened. So I think that was a portion of the uncertainty and I think a portion of the commonality,
2: literally the two. No, awesome. And I just also wanted to just, you all had not met before that. And I just want to also mention one other thing was, even for you, Jim, when you come in and you're having a conversation with somebody, I think the proximity initiative, and I want to get your perspective on that. You didn't have to be the leader, right? You all came and had a conversation as humans. So what leveled the playing field? So if you all don't mind, talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. And I think that
3: was, so to that point, Alex, it was, I think initially it felt like, hey, we're going to pair two dissimilar people and you're going to have a mentoring relationship. And I think when we showed up, it just shifted. I was there. I didn't have more to offer in the conversation than Shania did. And we both wanted to learn from each other. We both have very different life experiences. We both experience things very different and so do our kids. And I think that's Drawing into the conversation on the kids, I have a son about the same age as Shania's. And when we started having that dialogue about their experience, the conversation just blew open. But then it became the basis of our relationship was friendship. And when we became friends, it became much easier to have a conversation. And then there was two-way reaching out because that was a very tense time when we were going through a lot of the injustice phase. It was very front and center and, and a lot of things going on so it was great that we were able to find something common and then work with each other to understand the different experiences that we're having.
0: And I think one of the things I was able to share with him at that time, especially during that time the George Floyd that tragedy was very close to me because the George Floyd family was close to my family, literally his uncle and aunt were my parents' best friends, so we grew up together. So I was taking the hit on a more personal level. And I was able to share that with them. And when you have that aspect of it, it goes past something that's on the news and it personalizes it. This is how it hits me personally. This is why I worry for my son. And I think I could say it in a way that it wasn't, I'm attacking you. You're the reason why this goes on my son. No, it was because of this experience and it's personalized for me. This is why I have to worry that it's so close to me, literally and figuratively.
2: So, yeah, I want to just jump in there for one second. Do I have that right? So George Floyd was a relative of yours? Did you say that?
0: George's uncle and his aunt were best friends to my parents. So literally a couple years before that, not George himself, but two of his aunts, three of his uncles were at my mother's home for a Christmas thing we did every year. We literally, it was called the Howell Floyd draw on <laughs> Christmas. We would do it every year since I was about seven years old. So very close to the family. So to watch an uncle and aunt mourn someone that was past what was on a headline hit us very personally.
2: Wow. That's a whole nother conversation that you and I should have, but I want to just follow up with one thing from you and also you too, Jim. Did you, you have concerns about each other? So you're coming together, or I'm trying to paint this picture, coming together for the first time. You don't know each other. It's right after the George Floyd or right around the George Floyd incident. Did you have concerns related to each other and what this conversation from a safety perspective or take us into that moment? And what were you thinking at that time when you first met during your first interaction?
0: I'll say for myself, and I don't even think I've ever shared this with Jim. I think initially... You have those, what if this, how do I react if moments. So I was concerned because emotions were very high. Would there be things that would trigger me? Would I say things that might trigger him that would cause this conversation to go left? In my head, I said, you know what? Let me reset. I'm going to build tough skin. This is what, honestly, every day that we get up, as black men and women, we put on this metal veil to handle those hits. And we maneuver through it without emotions, without, we just work through it, especially in a corporate environment. For me, I just wanted to come in and say, okay, I want to make a change. So I may have to take some hits if this individual says something. So I'd already prepared in my head. If there's some things that are touchy, I will take it with a grain of salt. And I will try to move forward. It was kind of like that protect mode that I think African-Americans innately do. We breathe and it's our survival guide almost. So when I came in and he just said, listen, I think the very first thing out of Jim's mouth was, I don't know how to do this. I'm a little nervous. (laughs) I almost just saw a warm teddy bear that I wanted to embrace. And I'm (laughs) like, This is so safe. I can be exactly who I need to be and I just wanted to just create a very safe place for him at that moment. I just became a nurturer, I think.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll just build on moment. that. I it was the first 4 or 5 minutes that my hands were cold and sweaty and I don't usually get cold and sweaty hands. So, I'm kind of got a tough exterior. I haven't been in the military and some of the things I've gone through in my life and I sat there for a minute and I just I didn't know how to start the conversation. So I just started the conversation by saying, I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to do here. I knew why we were here, but I didn't know how to start the conversation because it almost the launch of the program almost came along as if it was a mentor-mentee you know, situation. And Sean and I quickly evolved that. But in the first few minutes of the conversation, it was just a recognition that, one, I didn't know what to do, really. And I didn't want to show up and say something that would go against exactly what Shanya was concerned about. I didn't want to show up and mistakenly say something, so I said nothing. And I think as the first 5 minutes rolled on, we just said, "Okay, hold on, let's just level set. This is a two-way thing. Let's just get to know each other." And we broke down the barriers, and then Shanya created a very safe space for me. And I hope I did the same. It sounds hopefully that's what she said there, but the first few minutes were just a little awkward, but then it just started to flow because we started talking about things we had in common. And then we rotated into the topic of the current political environment and social environment. And we were able to have just a very transparent conversation within the first 30 minutes of the
2: first time we met. So it was very good. And I would just tell you, all, I'm going to channel Callie McKee. She's not on our podcast today, but I'll tell you this. She talks about holding space and acknowledging that you may not have the right words or the right, let's call it, statements to make. And so what you all have done is this: create that safe place for each other. Jim, you're no better. Shawna, you're no better. Which really you all connecting as humans and creating that safe place was really what proximity is all about. And then we're gonna go into another question here, but like that is so important. So important to acknowledge that, hey, I don't have the answers. I may not have the right words, but I'm here to connect with you. I'm here to hold space with you as humans to really talk through our experiences. And that's what proximity, the anchor of what proximity is about, the center, the core of what proximity is all about. Now let's talk about the second step, right? The second step or the next version or the next thing to talk about is really about identity. And so if you are to mind, share the many identities that you have related to who you are. So I'll give you a little bit of my life's
3: journey to give you a view of my identity. I suppose I was born and raised in a very small town in Wyoming and not a lot of diversity in my upbringing, which I'm okay. You know, that was a great place to grow up and live. And I would love to live in Wyoming again someday. But as I moved out of Wyoming, went into the Navy, I was exposed to a much more diverse scenario or diverse experiences. And I think part of my initial or younger life identity was just had a very homogenous experience. And as I grew through the Navy and then out into my public career, diversity became a very big part of every day. And I don't know that I Mm -hmm. really grew through those stages in a way that allowed me to have empathy for the way other people. And I say other people, any other people, right? Because I didn't really have a lot of exposure. I didn't really gain empathy for how anyone else was experiencing the world except for my life and my immediate circumstances. And at Cisco, I think this is where a key identity shift occurred for me. And it all started with the proximity initiative and the multiplier effect. It drove some activity that caused me to become more proximate to people and things that are different than my life's experiences. And it put me in situations that pushed me way out of my comfort zone because it required me to look outside of who I am and where I live and the bubble I live in and all of my life's experiences to really see and experience it from other people's viewpoints. And I would say the proximity initiative is what, it kicked off a multi-year proximity journey for me, which has led to a significant change in my viewpoints it's led to change in how I present myself, how I listen, how I've developed as a leader, how I've developed as a human being. Faith is a big part of my identity. And Shania yeah. and I have a little bit of that in common there, so that's good. But as I deepened my faith and as I went on my proximity journey, I really just found empathy. And I think once you find empathy, your life changes. So I'm in a place now where my identity is probably 180 degrees different than I started. And I give a lot of credit to the Proximity program. It's the foundation of some things that have not only changed me as a leader, but really changed
2: me as a human being. Jim, I love that. I want to put a pin in all that. There's a lot of things you said around (laughs) listening and action and like all those things. And it's interesting about your Navy experience too, right? So your Navy experience was probably would have started to expose you to other different types of people. And so I love that. And let me give it over to you, Shawnee. I want to come back to that, Jim. But Sean, let me give you a moment. I want to understand what you've learned from each other.
0: So Jim and I actually talked about our upbringing, which was very different. So in contrast, I grew up very middle class in Raleigh, North Carolina. And my father was an engineer. My mom was a graphic artist. So we ate dinners. Together as a family, we watched TV together in the living room, where I would hear debates of Mac versus PC all of the time. People used to say we're like the Huxtables. I guess we felt like that. I was in the Girl Scouts. My brother was in the Boy Scouts. Our neighborhood was extremely diverse. It it didn't start out that way. When we first moved into the neighborhood, we were the first Black family. And there was a petition that was written to try to Mm -hmm. have us move out that didn't last long. Instead, we helped multiply the neighborhood. So my next our neighbor was from India. Our other neighbor was from Iran. I had another Asian couple that lived down the street that we used to play with. Just a very, I said, if anybody wanted to have a neighborhood that was United Nations, that's what I grew up around. So very cultural. So I grew up always wanting to learn about different people, no matter what the aspect of it was. The other part of it was, I honestly think I've always just had that empathy piece, whether it was a animal that needed to be, I was going to nurture it. One of my best friends in elementary school was a young lady named Carrie who was blind that no one would talk to Carrie. I decided to take on Carrie as my friend. She was a bleach blonde, blue-eyed girl, and no one just would take the time with her. And because I didn't like it, I decided to become her friend. So I think that kind of spilled over, but I think over the years it grew, especially in the corporate environment. And they're just things sometimes that you see. And I think for me, when it really got highlighted was when I became a mom and to see some of the things my son as a black male had to endure. I remember when Trayvon Martin happened and We've had a few incidents where we talked to people in sales where we had like a little fish, our version of a fishbowl conversation. And the question we led with was, when was the moment you realized you were Black? And my son realized he was Black during that Trayvon Martin incident. And I remember trying to talk to him about it. I remember he just ran down the steps and said, why do they hate us? And that changed it for me where I think I really grew a passion for diversity in equity. And so to be able to have that same platform and opportunity to do it on a corporate level like Cisco, it doesn't beat it. So this proximity piece I've shared with Alex, being here almost 20 years, I have not seen anything, any program that has been this impactful. It was impactful for me as well and I can see the change if people would run with this, it would be I think the momentum that would change the very facets of everything at Cisco.
2: I love that. And I appreciate that, Shania. What did y'all learn from each other? Just a couple of highlights, a couple of highlights real quick. What did y'all learn from each other in your conversations across difference? So a couple of things. I think the first
3: experience we talked about just having different experiences, and I can remember this in another podcast I listened to is you don't really understand the experience of someone else until you see it through their eyes, which couldn't be more true We talked about a conflict, Shania's son at a gas station. And then we played that through if it were my son and how the outcome might be different or even the way that it evolved might be different. And I tie that over to some things I've heard in other podcasts and other readings is it's almost the conversation of what's a male student experience on a U.S. campus and a female student experience on a U.S. campus. How does Shania's son have to think about just natural activities like protecting his person or being able to have his position in a line be safe. My son would go to the gas station, and if there was conflict over the line, he would feel free to speak his mind where, you know, in Shania's son's experience, he might have started to do that, but somebody pulled him back because the outcome would have been different. My son might've gotten pushed away or if the cops had showed up or something occurred, it just, the experience would have been very different. And I I don't know how to, let me tie this together. Like the male female experience at a college, when they ask the male, where do you want to go tonight? Oh, we're going to go over here. Well, what do you do to get ready to go over there? I grab my cell phone and go. And in that same experience, they ask the female student, Hey, we're going to go over here tonight. Do you want to go? What do you do before you get there? Oh, well, I get my phone I let three people know. I take my rape whistle. I carry something to protect myself. And I just drew that connection. It was a little bit emotional for a minute to draw that connection to how we pay so much attention to that situation when we're learning. But when we go to apply it to different colors of people and that experience, we're less likely to have empathy for that situation. And that one scenario just I don't know how to say it. It just kind of blew my mind to even process thinking through my son and her son having the same situation, but the outcome being so very different or the possibility of a bad outcome being very, very different for both. So I'll pass it off. Shani, I stole your story there, but but it just that was very impactful. And when we talked about that, that flipped some switches for me.
0: I yeah. think from my aspect, I think that what I really took away from it anyone talking to someone from a different walk of life could learn is that it's not about someone purposely wanting to hurt. Sometimes someone just does not know. And if I can keep that in mind and say, they don't understand this experience. I could share it and I can be the perspective that they don't have. I sit from a different vantage point than that person. So if I share it, they now have a different outlook on it. So to naturally assume bigotry or racism or sometimes, and some of it is an upbringing, but until you have the dialogue, sometimes it's just a thing of, oh, my gosh, I was not aware. So let me make you aware and let me have the assumption of assuming good. Let me assume good before I assume something else. I think we even had another moment where we were talking about a picnic. And I was giving him the history of listen and he wasn't aware and he was just like, Oh my gosh, I will never use that phrase. Or when I use it, I'm not going to think of it in that way because we're all in a place where we can learn. There are things that I can say that I'm like, I'm not, I'm completely oblivious to it. If someone writes me off, as soon as I say it, I lose the teachable moment. And I think if anything, we didn't throw away any teachable moments with each other during this process.
2: Wow. So summarizing, so understanding someone else's lived experiences has helped you understand the idea of the challenges others may have, where it also, where you also may have privilege, right? So Jim, that's what I was hearing from you around your son's experience at a gas station versus Sean, your son's experience at a gas station. and I'd love to just double click on that because I really want to have our audience listen to that. Let's just talk about that experience and what you all talked about in your proximity meetings related to the difference of experience from Jim's son from Sean's your son. So let me give it to you all and you all explain that to our audience. And what was some of the moments of awareness that grew in that conversation? So-
3: I think probably the standout moment in that dialogue was when Shawna explained that another black man came over and helped her son out and said, "Hey, hold up, this isn't going to turn out good." And then realizing with with my son and that experience, and we talked about this. It's just I wouldn't even have thought of that. I would let that evolve if it were my son or someone else's son at the same age, right? having a conflict with another person, I would let that evolve because I wouldn't perceive there to be a negative outcome. If someone had to moderate that, where with Sean's experience, when we talked about that, it it, it just the moderation wouldn't even occur. It would be an assumption of something when whomever was going to show up, showed up, right? If the cop showed up, it would be an assumption of something, not a moderated dialogue, where I think on the other side, they would try to moderate the conflict. And maybe not so much with Shania's son. And we talked through that a little bit.
0: I think just to give context, it was during the time that gas prices were ridiculously high. And so we were dealing with people waiting hours sometimes for gas. And so my son wanted, he was waiting, trying to get to work. And he pulled up to a gas pump and had taken the nozzle out and started pumping his gas when a white male Ran over, got out of his truck and came up to him and was just like arguing with him initially. And so my son, keeping calm because I've had these conversations. I just need you to come home. I just need you to come home. And so he had that in his head. And so he calmly said, hey, I'm almost done. I'll be pulling off soon. And the man was like, no, you're moving now. And used the N word, started getting in his face and my son was just ready at that point, triggered, ready to react. And I think there was mention of calling the police. And then another black male came up, an older male came up and calmed my son down and said, listen, get your gas and go. This is not what you want to do. You don't want the police mm-hmm. called because we know it could have gone a completely different direction. Unfortunately, if a white male is saying he was in my face, he was doing this. and..." all you see is this angry black male. My son is a 5'11", black male with locks in his hair and tattoos. No one will care that he's articulate. No one will care that he's a college student, that he's studying food science to better the environment. No one will care about any of that because he'll only be labeled for that moment in time. And it only takes a moment in time for us where we have to constantly, just like I said, when I was meeting With Jim, I wanted to think of every scenario first because I had to think what would be the impact? What is the what if?
2: I tell you, I just want to summarize real quick because I think that's where our unconscious and conscious bias shows up. And I think as we've been talking about related to proximity is around, our mind is really wired to make shortcuts. And so when we see people with dreadlocks or tattoos or... A twenty-year-old, almost six-foot black man. Our mind goes to what we've, our past or what we've seen, and then that reconfirms our own identity and where we may have privilege. And so it's just so powerful showing you. Thank you for sharing that. And then Jim, your perspective I think is great. Related, you're able to understand that your white male son, the same age, may have had a different experience or is able to navigate that experience differently related to the potential outcome, which could be harmful for another person of a different race.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think the shift for me is I would be more willing now that I have talked through this to step into that type of conflict to diffuse it. Because I know I have some personal connection to someone who's explained that to me and I understand it and I can see it a little bit better through their eyes than maybe I could have before, but I would let conflict ride and maybe not get involved where now if I saw a similar conflict occurring, I'm more likely to step in to diffuse it so that it doesn't get to a place that would be bad and do that out of my learned experience with Shania. So.
2: And team, I'm this city right now. That's the action. If you get close to a problem, you'll be compelled to try and solve it. When you get close to the marginalized, I'm quoting Brian Stevenson, when you get close to the excluded, new insights will emerge, New understandings will emerge that you can't attain from afar. So because of her and its experience and Sean is sharing that experience, Jim has embraced that. Jim has embraced that. And so that's the action, you all. They just played it out live. And so I'm going to go to the next question. I love this what was the most powerful moment that you all have both had together? You may have just described it, but have you had another powerful moment that you'd like to share with our audience that you had with each other or a learning moment or whatever that may be? And also you could talk about your journey together too.
0: I will say this. I think the proximity piece for me, just Jim has become not only a friend, but Jim is an ally. And I think you can't get to that allyship without the proximity piece. The truth is this, Society has created, even in corporate environments, rooms that I just can't get into because it's systemic. But when you have an ally that knows and understands you, that person can be in a room I can never be in, and they can fairly speak for me. I can safely say that I think Jim is one of my brand ambassadors, and I would be perfectly okay because he would reflect me to my truest form. I don't have to meet someone on occasion that would go into a room that would give falsehoods about me that are made to give what they think are surface levels. I believe that if I have an ally that gets proximate enough to know me for my core, they have my general interest in mind, that they know when to speak for me in rooms and when not to speak for me in rooms. They know when there are opportunities for me that they're like, I can't go in this room, but I know someone. I can be a bridge for you. I feel like allyship and you don't have to comb the expectancy of allyship, but I feel like it bursts it in a way, which is, I feel like even with the multipliers effect, if you sponsor me, do you really know me? Are you able to sponsor me in a way that says 100% truth of this, who this is who represents Shania Brathwaite and not give the cliff notes about me. And so I think I gained a lot from that, but the biggest portion is the friendship. I think we were only supposed to meet a couple of weeks and here we are, here's down the line that we're continuing to meet. And I'm constantly learning from Jim, even as my roles have changed, I will tell him we celebrate together. Like, Oh my gosh, this just happened. And you know, I can celebrate with him. And as I even moved into the DEI lead space, Just things I'm thinking about. How can we multiply this relationship? What can we do to do this on another level? And him and I would throw out ideas together.
3: There's a ton wrapped up in that, but I think the key word is friendship, right? Is that, you know, I think we started off as, hey, let's meet. And I think you fill out a form and okay, we just kept meeting. And three years later, we're still meeting. I don't know if there's a form I'm supposed to fill out, but we don't do that anymore. Why? Because we're friends and we do talk to each other about different things that are going on. Shanya's, I've had a couple of instances where I was feeling some things based on what the media was telling me to feel. And I went to Shanya, and we diffused that a little bit. And she helped me. But I think when you develop the friendship and it's just sustained, I've grown because of Shania. We've talked about sensitive topics. I have somebody to go to. She has somebody to go to. I've called her for some help in a couple scenarios, trying to connect to the internship program and things. It's just developed into a good friendship. And we both know each other deeply. And I have no doubt that Shania has my back and I have no doubt that I have hers. And I would say the friendship is probably the most meaningful thing, but what this ignited for me personally was a journey. Of proximity that I'll I can share later, but there's just this was the first domino in a series for me that just flew down the proximity path, and I don't know that I would have engaged it like that or become an ally, or even if I really knew what an ally was before I started talking to Sean. Yeah, I knew how to be a part of things and support, but allyship was really probably the next meaningful thing that came out of it. But then it really fired off this proximity journey for me and.
2: I mean, it just, it wouldn't have started if we didn't have that relationship. Okay, and I love this. And I don't want to paint the picture that this is easy. I know this is difficult. I know this can be messy. I know this is challenging. I know that this is awkward. Let's talk about that piece of it. I think, and Jim and Shania, what advice would you give people entering into a proximity conversation and also with you all, when has it been difficult? How has this been difficult? How does this you know, kind of put you out of your comfort zone? So two questions there. One is, how has this been messy? How has this been difficult for you all? And then what advice would we would you give other people that are entering into the initial proximity conversations?
0: Well, I'll say, I think one of, and I don't know if it's so much as messy. I think one of the, and I think Jim touched on it, Jim joined CBP, and there was an incident where there was a riot where a young white male shot and killed one of the protesters. And there was a big, it was, the trial was all over the TV, all over in the news. And it was a heated debate within the CBP space of you shouldn't get off. And them is like, I'm just going to put in a comment. They It made sense for him to get off. Legally, it shouldn't have happened. And there was a barrage of angry bullets that kind of came. And when he came to me with it, it wasn't so much anger, but it was like, I understand exactly where they're coming from. Because I agree that this person should not have gotten off. It just proves that this is over and over, that the justice system is weighed very much different for us. And so I had to really think when he spoke to me about it, he was just like, I don't understand what I did wrong. And so it was that balance of I have to be sensitive, yet be true to what I feel because that trial angered me as well. And so it was like, how do I have the balance of sensitivity, yet say this is that truth? And so I talked to him about it and said, well, let me paint it this way. And tried to bring the scenario to him, And I think it changed a little bit. Right. I think it was like uh, the perspective was there where it was like, OK, I didn't think of it in this form or
2: this fashion. That is messy. And I do think so. Jim, as an ally to the CBP community, let me get your response to that in the spirit of the conversation that you were shown you had relative to kind of like really having that dialogue back and forth. Go ahead. Jim. Sure. Yeah. So I would say,
3: well, first I was in the military, grew up in a very small place. And so I'm a second amendment advocate and that's part of who I am and those types of things. But I guess when we talked about this, I made a fairly, what I thought would be an innocuous comment of, Hey, this is the law. This is what our freedom is hard is the way that I positioned that if freedom is hard, freedom is hard because everybody's free right? To do the things that they feel they want to do and all these things. But what I learned in the conversation we had was, okay, wrong place, wrong time to make a comment like that. But secondly, we talked a little bit about how we had lost the ability to have pragmatic dialogue about different points of view. And so my learning was hey, you, know, you can't have that type of dialogue in an open space, which I should know from social media or it's just the thing, right? But trying to have a pragmatic conversation, I'm concerned that we've lost a lot of that. The ability for me to talk to Shania helped me process that, but then also get it a little bit deeper into maybe different viewpoints on that situation. So I think, but maybe even go one click deeper there is that we've created that safe space and we've continued this relationship long enough that these types of conversations are no longer uncomfortable. Right,
2: so I think the key to this is trust. So what you have built up with Jim and Shania, what you have built together is the ability to really have a dialogue with one another. You've realized that, You each are coming from a different identity vantage point related to your own lived experience. And you've been able to hold the space for each other to be able to have that conversation. The beauty of what this is, and this is difficult. This is messy. This is the hard work. I think what you learned, Jim, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what you learned based on what you described is that in a chat full of hundreds of people Putting your perspective in there related to how you identify and also your vantage point, viewpoint probably is not the best place to do that. The best place to do that is with showing when you're having your dialogue, you built your relationship, you built trust, you've been able to you know hold space with her, and then that's not misinterpreted because you're able to get deep. And so that's the key there. But I think I have to pile on a little bit right there. Is that
3: why is that unsafe? I think if we don't tackle it the way we're tackling it and make systematic changes on both sides of the conversation, whatever that conversation is, then that makes a safer, bigger space. Jim,
2: you and I are about to give proximate right now. So look, I think that the environment, as Callie McKee would always say, the environment in which to have these conversations has to be set it has to be nurtured and created. And so I think what you all have done, you and Shani have created that nurturing kind of environment to have those dialogues. Not every environment is created for proximity to be super transparent. And so yeah. this is awesome. This is yeah. great. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Shanya. It's been my pleasure. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for your vulnerability. And I tell you, what I've learned in this conversation is that that getting proximate, I mean, Jim, I think you said it either today, the last session we had together was, there's only one way to really, or trying to understand as much as we can their lived experiences. And I'll just end with the quote from Brian Stevenson, which has resonated with so many over the years is, if you get close to the marginalized, if you get close to the excluded, new insights would emerge, you understand what emerge, can't attain from afar. And so everyone, thank you so much. And I appreciate your time listening to this podcast. And until next time, thank you so much. Let's get Proximate, y'all, bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast powered by Cisco. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions with networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more. Cisco helps to securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.